Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. There. <laughs> you never know with this sex addict if we're really here or not. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic, and I'm especially laughing because God has such a sense of humor. Man plans and God laughs. <laughs> they say, my don't laugh. And what does that mean for me this morning, this afternoon? As most of you know, I don't prepare my talks. I pray or I ask God to direct me. But for this talk, because it was a step one, tradition one, I said, Harvey, don't. Don't get too smart here. Take, make some notes, study. I want to open up for this program. I can't find my notes. <laughs> so what you see is what you're going to get. However, I did make something for you to see, but the notes I had with dates and all that, gone. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober 37 years and 10 months, uh, one day at a time. Yeah, I came in here when I was 44. I'm 82 now. <laughs> Still a sex addict, by the way. It's an incurable illness, and so I'm here taking my medication. One more day, I was also at a meeting at noon uh, because I could only give away what I get. So let me share with you a little of this um, history that I have not really been interested in doing gala talks lately. And then, the, then, as I've shared with some people, what I'm working on in my 11th step is something very different for me in the past few years. It's that I'm trying to let go of all thinking. All thinking. Not lust. I'm thank goodness I'm not having issues with lust thoughts. But you know, they say we get between 10,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. They're flowing in. <laughs> Some people call it a monkey brain. Chatter, chatter, chatter. And yet, there are certain thoughts 
that aren't only chatter, you grab them. So over the past few weeks, I have my little trusty rubber band on. And any thought I become aware of, I flip. Unless you're an SM, it won't work. But if you're not into SM, my brain does not like the stinging on my skin. By the way, my disease went all kinds of ways, yet it hasn't gone into SM. So I could do this. And I've been doing it. And my mind was pretty clear. And Daniel texts me, would you do a Zoom? <laughs> and out of nowhere, the answer was yes. As I'm saying it, another inner thought came out. Hey. We tend never to work on the 12 and 12 at many of these talks. The book, the 12 and 12. Let's see, I lost y'all. Here we go. Let me. So as I'm thinking of that without a thought, I wrote instantly, let's do the 12 steps from the 12 and 12. Daniel wrote back, which would mean 12 weeks. Daniel wrote back, oh, he'll do the steps and then the traditions without thinking other than, heck, I don't want to do 24 weeks. <laughs> Not good for the ego <laughs> or my time schedule. The thought came, why don't you do, compare one step with step one with tradition one? And immediately after that, instantaneously, this very deep experience happened. that my higher power has hidden codes for me to see. And I need to work on seeing what's not there. It's in the not there that's there because it bypasses our brain, my brain, and my brain is where my disease lives. So I decided that I was going to see what are the common code between each step and its corresponding tradition. I've never done this before. I don't know how it will work out. Just worked on that first step and first tradition. 
Matter of fact, I shared it with my AA sponsor who has long, long sobriety. And he's never heard this done. So we're going to, you and me are going to be on some pioneer work of seeing what we have never seen before. You might say this is some esoteric, some kind of silly talk, but as many of you have heard me say, music, beautiful music, are not the notes. Without the space between the notes, you get noise. It's the combination of the notes and the space that produces symphonies. The silence between. So, I want to start off with the biggest code. What's the biggest code? And it says it in step 12, the first sentence. The joy of living is the theme. Man, if we don't get joy, we're going to be right back to our orgasms. If we don't find something as good or better than an orgasm, our brain being who we are, will automatically default to our sexual addiction, in my belief. Now, let me say, this is all my belief. What I tell you is not truth. It's my truth. This is not a cookie-cutter program where someone comes up and says, this is how it has to be. No, that's religion. We're not a religion. We are a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. So if joy is what we're looking for, let's see that theme as it's played out in step one and tradition one. So since this is not an essay meeting, this is a meeting where Harvey's going to share his experience, strength, and hope and opinions. I do not talk for essay as a whole. So let me do a little joy. You're going to wonder why I'm doing this. I don't care. You'll see it hopefully as we go on. So let's see if you all can hear this. It's a song. I made sure it was. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect I'm afraid. While shivering in my shoes, I strike a careless pose and whistle a happy tune and no one ever knows I'm afraid 
The result of this deception is very strange to tell. For when I fool the people I fear, I fool myself as well. I whistle a happy tune, and every single time the happiness in the tune convinces me that I'm not afraid. Make believe you're brave, and the trick will take you far. You may be as brave as you make believe you are. As you make believe you are. So that's our happy tune. And why did I play it? Because today we're not going to whistle. We're going to. Um, let me, this is backwards, right? Let me see if I could make, no, can you see it? Yeah, we see it fine. Okay. Hums. Lower your camera down or drop, Harvey, if you can. Yeah. So H-U-M-S, we're going to hum. A happy tune. What is that happy tune that hopefully we will find in the matching step and tradition? The happy tune comes, it's composed of H, humility and honesty, U, unity, M, memory. We have a forgetting disease. We've had also let go of old memories. And S, surrender, hum. After I did the hum, I realized how much like om that is. Om, hum, the vibration in our brain. So for those, who don't know the English word hum, it's when you go, who could do a hum for us? Is that a hum? Can you do a little melody? Thank you, Den. Okay, so let's talk about the 12 and 12 in terms of the hums. There's an interesting thing in our 12 and 12 book. I kind of didn't really think much of it, <laughs> but there's a short form. 
It sums up each step in one little paragraph. And what is the short form of step one in the 12 and 12? And we'll get to that in a minute. Because let's talk about what the heck is the 12 and 12? The big book of AA, which is essay's basic text, the first 164 pages, because that's what it says in the essay book with the literature section. And why is that so true? Because the essay book wasn't written and published until way after I was in the program getting sober. It was almost a year after I came into the program that we ever had an essay book. How did Roy, our founder, get sober? <laughs> With the first 164 pages of the AA book. Well, we're talking about the 12 and 12 book. Now, what is that? That they took and they realized that without not only personal recovery, but group recovery, the fellowship won't survive. There have been many other fellowships like 12 and 12, like a 12 step fellowship, but they've never survived. So in the AA book, they had little hints of what is a member, etc. But by 1948, Bill started publishing some ideas in the essay, not the essay, the uh, grapevine. And by 1950, he had the 12 traditions approved. And in 1953, they published the 12 Steps and 12 Tradition book, where Bill, now he got sober in 1935, 15, 16 years later, he is now teaching us more in depth about the steps. He's had 15 years more of sobriety at least. So he is upgrading the AA book, that first 164 pages. And then they do the traditions. Now, what is step one in the short form? It says, who cares to admit complete defeat? Surrender. Admission of powerlessness is the first step in liberation. Humility and honesty. Relation of humility to sobriety, even says it in the short form. Mental obsession plus physical allergy, disease. Not bad getting good, a disease. 
a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. And the last sentence in this short form says, we must, why must every AA hit bottom? Humility and surrender. Now let's go to tradition one. That's step one. Tradition one. You want to know tradition one, it's going to be very difficult because most of you weren't only not born during the Second World War, you don't even hardly know what it is, <laughs> only historically. But the tradition one mentions a man called Eddie Rickenbacker. It casually mentions Eddie Rickenbacker. Who the heck was Eddie Rickenbacker? <laughs> Eddie Rickenbacker was a American pilot in the First World War. And he, he came home a hero. And he went into business and he started or became the president of Eastern Airlines, became this fantastically wealthy man. And in the Second World War, after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, a year later, President Roosevelt said to him, he was in business. He wore a suit and a tie. <laughs> he, they said, we want you to go to the South Pacific, fly there to help out with our air bases. And so he and his, a crew flew across the Pacific Island uh, Ocean. And as they almost got there, they got lost. They got lost. And they had to crash land in the ocean, eight of them. They have unbelievable details about this story for those who could go on the internet and Google it. And what happened? They had eight people, five oranges. Most of them were not dressed properly. They had three life rafts. Eddie decided to tie all three together. So they were attached. And for 21 days, they were lost without food and water. One of them eventually died. But their story is how by becoming unified, they were able to survive. Because tradition one tells us 
How can a fellowship work? We have no leaders. We have no wealth. We have no one who could say, get the hell out of here. No one who could kick us out. How does a 12-step fellowship work? It's anarchy. There's no government. There's no hierarchy. And they said it works like Eddie Rickenbacker's crew. If you and I don't work together, if we are not willing to surrender ourselves, our backgrounds, our cultures, if we're not willing to unify, we all drown. Our survival is based on group unity. So when you hear there's arguments going on in a group, and you contribute to it. Be careful because everyone could drown. People say, what do you mean, Harvey? How can we ignore some of this? You don't like it. You keep it. You say, hey, I think it should go another way. You get a group conscience over a period of weeks. And if it doesn't go your way, you shut your mouth, you surrender, you become more humble. And if it's too upsetting to your recovery, what do you do? You get a coffee pot and one other person and you start a new meeting. But not at the same time of the other meeting. You're not competing. We are a unity. We're one. When I looked at that concept of unity, it all became clear because our big book says it. God is everything, or he's nothing, which is a subtle way of saying that's also God, N-O hyphen T-H-I-N-G, beyond time and space, a power greater than ourselves. So that unity that essay is based on is God itself. And when we were going around the room and you see people who come from countries who don't agree with other countries and religions who put down other religions, 
and you see us all working together, being so excited, being with each other, caring about each other. We're experiencing that unity. We're experiencing a messianic period of the lion laying down with the lamb. We are one. And it's through our oneness which requires humility, surrender, honesty, which we could get to in a bit, and memory for not forgetting that we have never been able to do it without our fellowship. Or else we wouldn't be in this fellowship. <laughs> Religion helps a lot of people with sexual problems. It just didn't help me. <laughs> there are many ways. But I have a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession that requires you. I cannot do this alone. Now, it's interesting how they say it. And many of you have heard this from me before. Before we could even get to the step one, it tells us five paragraphs. And one of the paragraphs in chapter five said we have to let go of old ideas. How do we do this program? We've had to let go of old ideas that have been programmed in by family, by religion, by government, by society. What's that old idea? That we're dirty, bad, people. No, I'm a sick person getting well, not a bad person getting good. How do I know that? Because when I take my medication every day, you all, my step work, my service work, etc., I'm not doing that same behavior. If I were a sociopath, it wouldn't matter what you were doing, what I was doing. Yet, all my behavior was sociopathic before I came in here. I lied, I stole, I cheated. I was as promiscuous as you could get. I keep giving my wife venereal diseases. I couldn't go a few hours without sex, one form or the other. And I'm not doing that today. To the best of my knowledge, I'm not stealing. I'm not cheating. I'm not being promiscuous. So our hums 
is to keep humming to ourselves. Humility, honesty, unity, surrender. Daniel, when are we opening it for questions? Because you know me, I go into a zone and I won't know what time it is. Whenever you want to. Um, and do you want to keep the questions related to step one and tradition one today? Yes, absolutely. Just one second. I want to read. This paragraph again, it says it a little differently. Who cares to admit complete defeat? That's humility in depth. Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct <coughs> cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that lust, I'm changing the words, that with lust, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive lusting that only an act of providence can remove it from us. Why does all that mean an act of providence? Have you ever thought about it? Does it mean there's this God and he shows up and then he grabs us by the collar and he moves us into picking up a phone to see where there's an essay meeting. The act of providence is the beginning for us of our awakenings to look back and see the hundreds and hundreds of chess moves on the chessboard that finally got us here. One of those moves was I had to reach my bottom. My sponsor would say, Harvey, if you missed one of those low life things you did, <laughs> even one, you wouldn't have been ready to surrender. Does that mean you have to hit the same bottom I hit? No. First of all, I was 44 when I came in. Many of you might be in your 20s and 30s. And tradition one even talks about that in the, not step one even talks about that in the big, in the 12 and 12. It says we can, you can raise your bottom by identifying with someone else's bottom. So I'll give you an example. That first year in, we, in Nashville, in SA, we had so few people. And this woman came in who is in, I guess, her early 20s. 
And she heard my story. And a lot of my story did not really get to the point it got till I was in my middle 30s. And she was able to say, Harvey, I've done such and such, not everything you did. I've done such and such, and I'm only in my 20s. God, if I don't get help by the time I'm in my 30s like you were, who knows where my disease will be? She was able to click onto a bottom of someone else's to, we have an English word, to extrapolate where you are now compared to where to someone else who you're saying, oh my God, how could he have done that? <laughs> and to see what they had done at your age. And you might see, wow, I'm more advanced than they are were at that age. So reaching a bottom is so important within yourself. Now, the tradition, one, just will keep emphasizing the unity, the unity. Why am I emphasizing the unity? Because we essayers, I'm also an AA for over 38 years. I'm telling you, we are some of the sickest people I've ever met. We sexaholics. We're something else. We've had to learn to look good. But what goes on in my brain and other people's brain, the behaviors we've had, we're not a well group. So you get a well, a group of some of the most, including me, ego-centered, selfish, self-centered people in one room. And you get, we should kick that one out. It's not doing well. Or we don't want women or we don't want guys, or we don't want this, and we don't want that. And we don't like this format, and we need another format. And we don't like this definition, we need another definition. And then the screaming, the arguing. How do I know that I'm one of those years ago? And if I'm not careful, I'll be right back there. So you get a room of ego-centered divas, prima donnas. But tradition one says, you work, you all work this out or you're all going to drown. That's simple. If you argue with someone at the meeting, there's a great chance you will carry 
that anger and resentment out of that room. You will obsess over it and obsess over it. And before you know it, you won't be starting another meeting. <laughs> You'll be back where you were with your addiction. Again, surrender is part of the unity. We're not there to change the meeting. We're there for the meeting to help change us. God, I sound dogmatic here. <laughs> let's hum a happy tune, everyone. <laughs> On that note, let's do some questions. Um, I'll take about 30 minutes of questions. Mm. Thank you Is so that much, okay, Daniel. Absolutely, thank you. And uh, just a reminder: if you if you don't want to be on the recording, then you can send the question to me in the chat. And uh, the first question came in on the chat. And, and if you want to, if you want to ask a question, raise your hand. If you're on the phone, you can press star nine to raise your hand, and we'll see you. Um, so the first question is: I've been I've been in the program. Wait, before for I forget. Yes. Next week, if any of you all come back. I want two or three people to volunteer to hum a tune that you can include humility, humility, honesty, unity, memory, and surrender. This week, practice humming. Mm. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, the first question is, um, I've been in the program for over four years working step nine. And I still can't get more than 40 days sober. Does that mean I've never really taken a true step one? See, that's a good question because the person really knows the answer. People ask a lot of questions. They already know their answer. How can someone else tell you if you've taken step one? It's apparent you haven't. But what does that even mean? What does taking step one mean? It's one of the hardest steps to take. And I hear it all the time. It gets so infiltrated with religion. There is no mention of God in the first step. I hear it day and night from newcomers. Oh, the grace of God's keeping me sober. I wish you luck. If the grace of God, who's the same God's statistically you had before you came in why didn't he give you that grace before you came in and does that mean that if one guy has sobriety and the grace of god that god doesn't love you does he didn't give you that grace step one has nothing to do with that step one is a a disease step. If you want to know what step one is, you read the doctor's opinion 
in the AA Big Book. So if you have a penicillin allergy and you get real sick from penicillin, man, if you purposely take penicillin, I wish, I wish God will give you the grace to not make you real sick, but you better get some Benadryl fast or some antihistamine or something. Memory, memory, letting go of old ideas and letting in new ideas. I have a incurable addiction. I have a brain issue that's accompanied by a mental obsession. Now, naturally, if I believe in unity and but God is in everything, yes, he is in everything. But there's a famous story. It might have been about St. Francis, but I make this up as I go along so someone can correct me. But <laughs> I say I don't lie, but I make up stories I, I believe myself. <laughs> but it might have been St. Francis who was, he was planting his garden and he, it was a beautiful flowers and all. And someone said, oh, isn't God wonderful? Look at these beautiful roses, plants. And the response was, yeah. But if I didn't water them every day and till them, it wouldn't look this way. Yes, God helped the germination. But don't expect God to do for you what you can do for yourself. It says God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. But there is no way before you go to a porno shop or turn on the internet, there is no way God's going to take statistically that computer and throw it out the window. So what did God do? He gave you someone to call. He gave you a program with tools. When that thought hits you, you call someone immediately. You say, hey, I'm thinking of turning on my computer to watch some porn. But that takes honesty. It takes humility. It takes unity to connect to that other person and surrender to that I cannot do this alone without you. Jess had a, my own essay sponsor, and he, he was a believer. But yet he said for his recovery, I need God with skin. I need God to talk through you. So that person, whatever he's doing for four months, apparently is working. But if he relapses, <laughs> this program isn't to get you sober. 
No one could get you sober. This program is to help keep you sober. In AA, they say it very gently, I'm being facetious. Put the plug in the jug for the next 24 hours. It warmed my heart today. I got a message from someone saying, I really want to hear your talk, but I don't use the internet. Can I, I don't have the telephone number. And I went contacted Daniel, Daniel immediately responded. I sent it to the guy. I just felt like crying with joy. It's that man knew his powerlessness. He knew his fences. He knew that his disease could even use a recovery meeting to get him back to acting out. And he had these clear fences. I'll try to explain it in terms of the first step. I'm a very, when I'm out there, not sober, highly promiscuous man. And I'm highly heterosexual. But you know, when my disease progressed, it progressed to men. Men became heroin, especially a certain kind of man. And a lot of my disease got worse in a health club. I could not accept only our bottom line. I had to add to it. Number one I added was if I even walk into a pornography store, unless someone called me in the program to pull them out, even if I go in and not look at anything, I have lost my sobriety. Number two, if I ever have sex twice in a day with my wife, that's a loss of my bottom line sobriety. This is old behavior. And number three, if I ever purposely go into a shower room where there are naked men showering, I have lost my bottom line sobriety. And let me tell you, I understood that guy because I would be invited all over the world to speak, my wife and me. And the first question I'd ask was, will I have a private bathroom with a private shower? This many of these places are in convents and certain conference centers where you have public showers. And if they say, no, you some public, and I'll say, no, I can't come. Usually what happens, they'll get us a bed and breakfast. And my ego say, Harvey, they'll fly you out there. They'll do this and go. No. I am without power. 
I surrender. And no matter how long I do not lust actively in the daytime, in the middle of the night, I have dreams occasionally. But lust is not an issue for me. That's so dangerous. And I'm grateful it's not. But I could believe I'm cured. No, I still will not do those bottom line issues. No. Because I know I'm not cured. Why? Because I surrendered to the disease. Once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it can never go back to being a cucumber again, no matter how hard it tries. Next question. I'm yes. getting serious with this. Come on. Yes, so we have like a fun question. We have <laughs> fun questions. Step one, let's get let's get <laughs> let's get a little further with the steps before we get to the real fun. But we have a, a good 10, 11, 12 questions. So try and keep it to around three minutes and answer if you want to finish in about half an hour, okay? Um and um yeah, I have um I'm very much haunted by last um over the last a few weeks, since like um, maybe a week before Christmas or so. Um with many sexual dreams at night and and I and I can't see that I have have really changed anything since since before that time. And and I wonder why why this is why it's going this way. I, I do have very clear fences concerning the media and uh, how I move in the public and so on. I feel and um and still and still the, the the sexual dreams go on at night. And although I pray at the night um, and asking my higher power to, to keep me sober over the night and so on and so on. And I don't, I don't really know what's going on there. And, um, and meanwhile, it's, it's really wearing me out. I, I feel like tired and I, I'm very much afraid that I'll relapse if it's, if it's going to go on like that. And, and I also get tired of the program. Like I'm doing a meeting every day, sometimes two, two meetings a day and I phone people and I, and I read the literature, but, but I, I get really like, I feel I get allergic towards the literature, for instance. And, and I, and I resent being at meetings and so on. And, and I okay. wonder what's going on there. Do you have any, any experience with yes. such a situation with such a phenomenon? Yes. You're answering your own question. You're fighting the program. Now, you're using your dreams for an excuse to fight the program. You're talking to the wrong guy. I had wet dreams for years. For years in recovery. Jess would say, and I'd fight him. I didn't want him. I'd get on my knees. I did one day, someone got so annoyed at me for complaining. They said, have you been to a doctor lately <laughs> to check it? Turned out I had an enlarged prostate. My body was in shock. I used to have orgasms every few hours. And then I went a two-year period without any. I'm not going to act out consciously today. If my backside falls off, I am not in control. 
control of my dreams. Now, let's do this historically. The first essay book alluded that it was a loss of sobriety to have a wet dream. So here I was, 11 months sober, a man who was, went from every few hours to sex to nothing. My wife and I were abstinent for almost two years that time. And I try everything. There's a book said maybe that's a loss of sobriety. And then I met my future sponsor, Jess. And Jess said, no, Harvey, wet dreams are a sign of recovery. There's none of us ever had them before we came in. We were too busy masturbating before we went to bed and other things. <laughs> and I stopped trying to control my dreams. But I worked very hard. And you understand? on this piece that very few people talk about. Not what they're not doing, what they are still doing. I don't know about you, it's none of my business. But most people continue to lust in our fellowship. Most people, I would say, never truly become members. Our membership requirement it's different from AA. AA says only a desire to stop drinking. SA says a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. So people become sexually sober and think they could take that second look or they could play with it in their head a bit. I wish you luck. I'm not one of those people who could do that successfully. So if you want to measure your program by acting out, go for it. I measure my program about acting in. This acting in will always take me to acting out. What comes up in my dreams? My God, I, I'm a PTSD victim. I've had some of the worst dreams all my life, but I don't let it affect my everyday life. Yet we make the dreams so important. Yes, they're important if you're going to bed at night, touching yourself, lusting actively in your mind, and then leave, or not even touching it, just thinking about it, then don't be surprised. That's trying to get a wet dream. But if you're going to bed, casting things out, having talked to people that day, sharing it, having no secrets, then what happens at night is none of my business in the middle of the night. Just my opinion now. However, in the bit essay book, by the second printing, Roy changed the wording. And if you ever get the two prints, you could see the difference. He used the word, it might be, or something like that. He softened it up. 
there's so few people we're not getting nocturnal emissions. I I can't talk for women, excuse me. I I'm not sure how yours work out with nocturnal sex dreams. I could just talk for the man. Okay, next question. Um Harvey, uh, this is not a direct quote because I didn't write it down quickly enough, but you said like if you your sponsor told you if you still want to do any of the things you did before, you're not ready to be sober. And you were talking about doing like step one. Now, um, and if if that is correct, my my question would be like if uh, if that is the case is relating to what I'm doing. I'm redoing my step one and deep diving into my behavior. It's very, it's very triggering sometimes. And even though following the, uh, you know, the practical tools, uh, meditation, grounding, whatever, calling people, going to meetings, all those things aside, I still want to run back to old coping behaviors. So in, you know, in what, what you said, is that a sign? I'm just wondering, is that a sign of me, even though I'm redoing my step one, that I'm, there's like a disconnect somewhere, or is it possible, you know, for the dichotomy to be there that I'm, I want to be sober. And I also still want to use my old coping behaviors, even though I'm not, uh, is that, yeah. Is there a disconnect there, uh, in your opinion? I don't remember saying it that way. I will tell you what I do say. This it was taught to me by my sponsor with a story. The story is that in AA, my sponsor was sober a year, and he went to a bar, an old bar he used to go to, to have a drink. And the bartender knew him and said, hey, Cherry, what are you doing here? I thought you're an AA. And Cherry got embarrassed. So he said in his head, I'll wait till the bartender leaves. And when the next bartender comes, I'll order the drink. Well, the bartender wasn't leaving. Finally, after hours there, he left and he called his sponsor up. And he said, to his sponsor, all this God stuff really works. I went to have a drink and God stopped me from having a drink because of the bartender. (laughs) What a change. And his sponsor, as he would talk to me in his very gentle way, say, hey, stupid. You don't ask God to keep you from drinking. You ask God to take the desire for the drinking away. Now, people are going to say, let's go back to this. Honesty. Oh, I have a desire. I don't want. No, you have the desire not to get caught and in problems. But most people ignore the first step word of lust. They want to stop acting out. This that cause problems. They don't want to stop 
lusting. Now, how do we do this? AA does it very simply. They say if you don't have the willingness for the desire to be removed, pray for the willingness to be willing to have the desire removed. And if you can't get yourself to do that, then pray for the willingness to be willing to be willing for the desire to be removed. And if you don't have it, then pray for the willingness to be willing to be willing to be willing to be willing for the desire. Go back until you could sincerely say, I am willing for it to be removed. So what happened to me? If you notice, I try to bring it back to me because otherwise this is a lecture. What happened to me? I was afraid to ask God to remove my desire and lust because I was afraid I'd become impotent with my wife. I was so worried that without those fantasies, I couldn't do it. So I had to get to a place, a bottom, a surrender, where I had to be willing to say, God, take it. Take that desire. Take the lust. And I hope it doesn't happen. But if I become impotent, that's what will be. But I am willing to go to any length. I cannot stand this one more second. And then we're at the sixth and seventh step. And you know what? I do fine. I'm an old man. I still do okay with the help of vitamin V. But, you know, at 82, takes what it takes. I'm not allergic to sex. I hate to surprise you all. Where does it say we're allergic to sex? We're allergic to lust and sexually acting out. And Roy, time and again, will connect the words. So he'll say lust and sexually acting out in the essay book. And he will tend to always say lust will, the masturbation doesn't cause the lust. The pornography doesn't cause the lust. The lust gets you to masturbate. The lust gets you to open up the, the computer. Who's next? Thank you. Um, my question related to step one is, and I'm currently in my journey, been in the program since February 2020, but haven't had so much, so much sobriety. Um, my issue is coming to that rock bottom, that realization, how much of a sex addict, how much of a sexaholic I am. And again, the sponsor guys in the program telling me just call, keep calling brothers, keep surrendering, keep surrendering. My, myself, when I'm in addiction, when I want these thoughts, when I want to find ways of acting out. So 
then I think, okay, I don't want to bother this person anymore. Okay. Maybe I don't have enough, enough numbers in the program to surrender. I know my life is complete trash. I know I could destroy myself, my family, people around me. I can ruin everything. But once somebody told me once, this is a disease of forgetfulness, that we forget really how bad the things we've done and the, the actions that we can take when triggered by lust can happen. So like I said, I'm currently on step two, but having a new God of my understanding than my religious God that never, never really worked for me. Um, but I'm not at the point where I can, where I can really pray because I don't feel like I know, I know how to pray. I know what to pray for. Like you said about the willingness or the willingness to, to have this desire removed, but I feel so reliant being this early in my step work this time around on other people. And again, it, it, it kind of, for me, creates ways of, of not really dealing with, with the lust and, and surrendering maybe, maybe in the right way. So how, how would you recommend um, dealing this, this early in the steps uh, with that issue? It's very difficult in essay because we have a very codependent group of people, all of us. We're just too nice to each other. It's too nice. In AA, it's very simple. And they even talk about it, they write about it. Hey, go out and try some more, Harry. If you could handle it, no big deal. Go for it. But not us. We become evangelists. Oh, you got to stop it again. Man, you want some more pain? Go for it. Now, you shared something very important about pain that most of you who've heard me before have heard my sponsor's words, that God gives us a great gift. We forget pain or women would never have a second baby. It's one of these natural gifts. But for us, it all but kills us. So what do I do? I, you saw it in action here. You weren't asking for my story. I'm telling you about the men who are heroin. I'm telling you this, I'm telling you that. So I never forget. I tell myself my story over and over again. Because I don't have shame over it, because I know it's from an illness in my brain. But what do I do? I know I also have forgetting disease. So whenever anyone mentions something, I go into my brain like I did it during this. I do it naturally. I don't know what you're going to ask. But I go in and I say, hey, when did I have dream problems? Or what was it before he came in the program? How come I never had wet dreams? I know I'm ill. I had an experience last week. Um, I have PTSD and I have terrible sleep problems. Terrible. But I was intimate with my wife, and 
I slept through the whole night, hardly dreamed, woke up next morning, and I said to my wife, you know, it makes sense why since I was a little kid, I needed to masturbate before I went to sleep at night. It did something to my brain. See, I truly believe this is a genetic, for most of us, illness. And that our hypothalamus limbic system is not like other people. Most people can masturbate. Most people can lust. I can't do it successfully. If you can, why not? My goodness, we do this God stuff. <laughs> Any, especially some books, some people have been masturbating and having prostitution for thousands of years. It's in the Bible. This is nothing new. <laughs> we make this big thing. People not too long ago were having concubines. There would never be enough concubines for me. Because I have a disease. And I want to end this question, an interesting thing someone shared today and then yesterday someone else I think shared it. They were looking at old pictures and how beautiful their wife was. My wife, I've been married over 60 years. She was beautiful, is beautiful to me. We were having very good sex. Why did I need sex outside of my marriage? Why? Because I'm not a normal man. Now, maybe you're a normal, Harry, and you can handle it. Go for it. And in AA, they say, hey, you're not sure you're alcoholic? We'll bring you a case, a beer. See how well you handle it. We're too busy pampering people in this program. We actually reinforce, we reinforce relapsing. The minute someone relapses, they're brought in, oh, you poor guy, this, 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 that. And there's a story in the AA book where no one would even go get the guy. He was stuck somewhere. And they said, let him finally reach his bottom. I wish you don't have to reach a bottom like I did. But no one can make you get sober, which to me means more about lust than merely acting out. A lot of people, they, they've stopped acting out for periods of time anyway, even without the program. They've done it through church or synagogue or mosque or, or oaths, but it's staying sober. And without 
letting go of the lust, it's going to be hard not relapsing anyway. Next question. I wanted to ask you, the sponsor told me to write about this. That's one. You, got to you need to stand still. I can't hear All right. what you just said. All right, now it's better? Yes. yes. Okay, uh, my sponsor told me to write about step one. Uh, and I have problems writing anything from when I'm a child. I can't write, I like, I go crazy. So I spoke to him yesterday about it and he said, okay, just write one question and one answer. And I still can't take the pen and write. I'm going, is there any other thing I can do uh, except writing like to, I don't know, I, okay. I go. Wonderful, it's a wonderful question. You know, this whole step one business is made up when you present your step to a group. It's all made up. We never did that. What the hell is step one for? Step one is to convince me I'm an addict. I don't have to convince anyone else. Step one, the public, when you do it with the group, helps um, de-shame it. But there's nothing magic. The step one you need is you with you, proving to you how powerless you are, how unmanageable, how much money it cost, how many times you did it. man. People just don't get what they, they think step one is an autobiography. No, it gets lost in the story. So I have my sponsees do what I did. Numbers. By the time I was 44, I had masturbated seven, 8,000 times. By the time I was 44, I had intercourse with women almost seven, 8,000 times. I had 500 sex partners. It probably cost me three, 400,000 in today's money. I couldn't pay for my kid's college education because I was spending it putting guys in apartments so I could have sex whenever I wanted it from men. I've never let myself forget my first step. So you have to be so careful you don't make this a religion. This is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. Now, I used to have incest with my male cousin. When I wrote my first step about it, I would get aroused every time I'd start writing it. I didn't write it. It was apparent I couldn't do it at that point. This is not some marathon run. This is about 
self-honesty and humility. So for that person who can, I, I don't see him on now, but for that person who can't write, so you dictate a few things for you, then you could share it. But don't get into this magic ritual. It's the steps are for me to convince me I'm powerless and unmanageable and that I have an incurable illness and that it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. Every day to be reminded because it is a forgetting disease. Who's next? Hey, Israel. Thank you for your for your talks. And you know how how much I love this, and grateful to be here. Uh, my question is about uh, first edition. I mean, I mean, a lot of people struggling coming to the groups, and they feel they have such a big religion background here, right? In the fellowship, I mean, fundamental ones, and people people feeling that is a traitor of this this religion i mean um, what the hell i i should i should sit in with the palestinians with the christians the jews and um you know maybe you can mention this uh this thinking maybe and if you can can you tell us uh, about your first group if you remember I yeah mean. Well, israel brings up a very good word that you don't see here What's unity, the word unity. Is part up you don't see? S struggle. Oh, man. And it's very interesting. I see it not only in Israel, but I see it in Asia. That word comes up a lot. Where do you find the word struggle? in the first 164 pages of the AA book. There is no struggle because you've surrendered. Struggle merely means I'm not ready to surrender. So when people are struggling, there's nothing I could do about it. They're not willing to surrender. Wherever that spot is, they're struggling. They're struggling about their wives, they're struggling about their business, they're struggling here, struggle there. And there's, it's interesting, there's, there's a, uh, well, I won't go into it, but a past person from thousands of years ago who struggled with this very big power and ended up with a bad hip. You always get injured from struggling. No, we surrender. Now, what's that first year? That first year, we had just a few people. We went from one meeting a week. Now, what? Natural months have 15 meetings a week and loads of people with 20, 30 years of sobriety. But we were in Eddie Rickenbacker's boat. 
there would be hailstorms. I'll never forget a hailstorm. But we had one meeting a week. We were all there at that meeting. We knew that the chances of dying driving on an icy road was probably less than the chances of dying from my disease. Now, of those 110 people who came through that year, I'm the only one left. Most people, but each year, we accumulate more and more of a base of sobriety. Most people will not do this program. They come and they go. Just is. But you're always there for me. That's a gift God's given me. There's always been a meeting. The faces totally change. Someone that... Uh, there are two people with longer sobriety than I have in the world in SA, and that's two women. And one of them just called me the other day, actually. And she she has over 38 years now. And um, we have one, two, three, four, four people five, six, maybe, maybe there are 10 who have 35 years or more sobriety. Now, does everyone who stopped coming die, get killed, get mugged, get murdered? No. Many people come to this program who are not sex addicts. If you're a real sex addict, you're going to get covered up, locked up, or sobered up. But many people come to this program with lots of shame, hard for them to deal with it in their religion, and they're abusers. They're not necessarily real sexaholics. <clears throat> How do I know that? I've seen probably 3,000 people at least come and go. I see some of them at my AA meetings. They're not dead. Don't let anyone tell you, oh, if you stop coming, you're going to die. No, it's not true. But if you're a real sexaholic, you will get covered up, locked up, or sobered up. I cannot tell you how many people I know who have killed themselves, who have ended up in prisons. I'm a real sexaholic. Maybe you're not. Especially Harry, maybe you're not. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm teasing. Uh, Daniel, for your service. Um Harvey, good to hear you. Um so my question, yeah, I've heard, you know, <laughs> I've said this before. Um it, it's good that some people uh, repeat the same messages over and over again because I need to hear it uh, even when I feel like I don't. And um, I've heard these two sort of um, things that you discuss over and over again. And it just struck me, um, you know, you talk about, and, and I think it's a question of balance. 
Um, and it's, it's a moving target. I guess for everybody, it's a little different. But I wonder if you can speak a little bit about the difference. Um, so, for example, you talk about your um, personal bottom line not going into a, um, a male locker room. Um, and while that particular boundary is not something that I feel um, I would have to, you know, put on my bottom line, I certainly am I'm aware uh, when I go into any place where there might be naked people of any gender. Um, but I, 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 you know, thankfully, that's not uh, an insanity of mine that, that, you know, where I'm just immediately going to be uh, triggered to a, a real discomfort. Um, but then you also talk about, you know, the fact that you wouldn't go into a porn um, theater or, or uh, uh, you know, a, one of those strip clubs or anything like that. That happens actually to be on my bottom line. Um, because I, other than, as you say, for the purpose of trying to help someone, um, and to be of service, there's no real reason for me to be in there. And it is very uncomfortable for me. My question, I guess, is where is the, like, again, I think it's a question of balance. You know, if, um, I guess if there's a good reason, you know, we can cross, quote unquote, our boundaries. Um, I mean, if there were the, were the same, I'm not really sure where is the line. You know, it's like one is, um, are we always, if there were a good reason, for example, for you to go into a, into a locker room, would that be the sort of deciding factor in terms of whether it's a, a reset for you? And again, I understand that the reset, other than for my ego, is not, Really, the critical thing. What's critical for me is: do I stay sober? Do I stay sane? Tomorrow, not necessarily do I stay physically sober, but do I stay sane? Can I wake up tomorrow morning and stay sober again, Uh, or has it just thrown me so far off balance that I'm, you know, ready to go back where I was? Which is one of the things that helps keep me sober because I know that anything happens if I get off balance that way, I'm going right back to where I was. I don't know if if, the, if I'm really making Let's if I'm being very articulate. Let me yeah. try to answer your question, Mitch. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> sure. The concept, two concepts here: intent and self-honesty. But Roy uses a special word that most people don't know or they misunderstand. He said, in the crucible of our experience, okay? What does in the crucible of our experience mean? Because I have sponsees who could do things that I don't do, and they have wonderful program. Because the crucible, and I'll explain it in a minute, of their experience is different. And the way I try to say this is this is not a cookie cutter program. So people will ask their sponsors what to do when they down deep know. Now, what is a crucible? A crucible is a little porcelain dish (coughs) that you use in chemistry. And you take one chemical and another chemical, 
and underneath you have a burner with a flame and it's on a platform and by heating it one chemical and the other chemical get heated mixed together and a new chemical comes up a new new thing in the crucible of my experience in the first three months of sobriety i was going to health clubs and i was going into shower rooms and i was going into steam rooms and i almost lost my sobriety and this was before we had cell phones or what. And it was almost, I was going to lose it. And my phone rang. And I had to go, no, my beeper back then. And I had to go to a public phone to call my office. And it brought me back to sanity. And I, I realized Harvey... You cannot successfully do this. It was in the crucible of my experience. Therefore, I put it on my bottom line. Because this is not a religion. It doesn't have a list. I once asked Roy, our founder, I asked him, Roy, why did you leave the definition of sex with self so vague? What does it mean? Does it mean masturbation, masturbation to orgasm, having arousal? What, what does it mean? And he shocked me. He said, this is not a religion. You cannot fine tune. What is pornography? To some people in the program, they've never done anything beyond look at women's lingerie in a newspaper. That's pornography for them. So you, you can't fine tune this, but you can do humility, unity, self-honesty, and then once you realize your truth, surrender. Okay. Can I can I just follow up? I, I realized that uh, part of what raised the question was the when you talk about uh, that story of, of having gone. I, I think it was in Europe where you were asking about whether they had a private bathroom. Um, I think this is something that I struggle with, even in terms of things outside of program where. Um, there's an opportunity for me to be of service, but there's uh, the possibility of some discomfort to myself and making that choice between sort of pushing through and just, you know, setting like maybe, maybe bookending, but surrendering the, the discomfort. Um, and again, like you say, being, being honest, I, I guess if I can just restate what you're saying, then it would be the same thing if you had a good reason to go into a male locker room you it, because somebody was struggling in there you might you might do that um even you where it's on your bottom line my was that was that correct if the intent is correct uh mitch i'm 
not going to focus on your question. I'm going to focus okay. on the word struggle. Okay. My program's about comfort. If I'm not comfortable, I'm leaving myself very vulnerable. When in doubt, do without until I speak to my sponsor. So if I struggle, it means I'm uncomfortable with this decision. So what I merely need to do is, even that is my way of being honest with myself. Mm. Why am I even in a conflict over this? Whatever I'm doing for me has worked. What you do for you will work if it's working. We don't have a rule book here. So basically, stop fighting anything and everyone. I guess that's what the big book says. Mitch knows his big book. Yeah. Okay, we cease fighting. Now, I want to tell you a story, because we have people from Belgium here. Nancy and I were asked to speak in Belgium. They brought us over, and we went to a convent. And we got, it was a snowstorm. We got off the airplane. It was freezing cold. I was in a little cell. The only blanket, there was no heat. The only blanket I had was wool, and I'm allergic to wool. And I had jet lag. And I was the main speaker. I was not the main, I was the only speaker for that weekend. And I could not fall asleep. This happened about 10, 12 years ago, I guess, or maybe less. I couldn't fall asleep with the jet lag. And all of a sudden, my wife was in the cell next to me. They had given me a little private bathroom. And I'm in the, I just couldn't sleep. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice that was so loving and caring and loud. And it said, Harvey, if you just masturbate now, you'll be able to fall asleep. I jumped out of bed. I went to my wife. We kind of stayed in her tiny little bed, and I said to her, I cannot stay in this building for sleeping again. And she said, what do you mean? They've brought us from Europe, from America to speak. I said, I need to find somewhere else to sleep. I got up first thing in the morning, and I said, I'm going to tell the that had guy here who's running it. And my wife said, but you can't, it's not courteous. And, and I went up to him and I said, I will pay my own way. I cannot sleep in this building. And he said, don't worry about it. They got me a hotel somewhere. I, and I was able to give my talks. And that's the first thing I told them about when I started my talk. 
this disease never goes away. It goes into remission. And it will whisper in truth. Probably if I did masturbate, I'd fall asleep. But no, this it lies to me. It forgot to say, how the hell are you going to give us talk the next morning if you've lost your sobriety? <laughs> so yes, I'm willing to go to any length, no matter what it takes. And Mitch asked these great questions. I went, my son took us to a new country club he had joined, and he was so thrilled to show us. And he took me down to the locker room, and he said, oh, I want to show you the locker room shower. And I said, no, I don't go in. I was so embarrassed, but so relieved to have surrendered enough to say, I don't care what my son thinks about me, no matter what he thinks, it can't be worse than what he used to think about me when I was acting out and he in high school would hear rumors about me and what I was doing. And at the house of worship we went to, and the rumors about me. Yes, I'm willing to go to any length today. And for people who care about me, they have to remind me of this if they see I'm playing around in any way. So yes, that's my program. It's not your program. You're going to have your own crucibles. But these are my crucibles. One other story on that subject. We went to another city where my grandchildren were, some of my grandkids, and we went to the day or to the swimming pool area. And the only way to get into the swimming pool area was walk through the locker room, the shower room. I sat outside in the summer heat for probably two hours outside of the fence, I, I wouldn't go in. Because if I make too many exceptions, my disease will use it. See, Harvey, you had no trouble. You had no trouble. You went in, it was good service, good work. It was kind to your grandkids. No big deal, you did fine. That's what happened to the man in the AA book, who put liquor in his milk. Nothing happened. So he took another one. <laughs> so we're talking first step, thanks Mitch, and first tradition. And the first tradition, again, is about the unity, about the unity. And the unity is when we identify with our weaknesses, with someone else's weakness. We don't try to show our differences. We connect through our imperfections. Okay, 
we never did the serenity prayer or one of the prayers. If we're going to talk a little longer, I think it got lost. Well, we, we hit the, um, coming on to 110 minutes, whatever, 100, 110 minutes. So we can do it, definitely do a serenity prayer if you want. We can go for another 10 minutes till. Okay. Let's do the serenity want. prayer and then we'll do another 10 minutes. Okay. And Let's do it. Everybody's free to unmute for this after a moment of silence. <laughs> I'll have to unmute yourself again. I think you can do it as a co-host. Um, talking about, you know, a, a bunch of questions. A bunch of questions came in on the... Um, okay. I want to say something. Yeah. How did we start with this song, the Frank Sinatra song? Yeah. The song was, I whistle a happy tune and keep my head erect so no one will suspect I'm afraid. What is... And then it goes on to say... And when I fool the people I fool, I fool myself as well. What is that saying? If you notice a lot of these questions underneath have fear. What will people think of me? Am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? <laughs> uh, I'm afraid of this. I'm a because that's what Bill W. shows us, that fear is behind so much of the angst we experience. Yeah, next question, please. Yes, I was just saying that uh, I, there was a bunch of questions that came into the chat, and through Providence, most of them were answered through the questions and what you were saying. But um, one thing that was brought up just before, which is kind of related to what Mitch was saying, was about the uh, the unity of the fellowship, um, how, how is it possible to have unity when for one guy a second look is a relapse and for the next guy uh, a second look is not a relapse? It's kind of a bigger question about the unity that we have as a fellowship with the, you know, with this bigger discussion of sex with self, which is, you've been talking about for, for 15, 20 years now, um, and different definitions of that. Maybe you yeah, want to talk? It's very simple. It goes back to Eddie Rickenback. You know if they survive. You know who's right or wrong for the person who's right or wrong. Though either it's not our morality right or wrong, it's is it working for them. If people could take second looks, fine. That's no sweat off my back. I don't do second looks because I'm too sick. So I, I can't stop with second looks. Now I'll do third and fourth and start following people. Some people could do fine with second looks. These, this is such a difficult concept to absorb. Who am I judging someone else's program? 
who defines all this. Well, he himself wouldn't even define it. Um, and uh, my question is, uh, this willingness that you talked about, you know, pray to be willing to be willing, you know, I know I need to be focused on me, but I'm, I'm not always, you know, successful to be focused on me and my honesty because many times I don't have this honesty and I, and I cannot reach to myself and I just use, I'm on automatic state. So how much it depends on only on me to become willing or to become honest? And how much it's like only time and... Um, because, you know, the program says it's God's time, right? But it also says God's time, in, it's in my time. So I know that today I'm not willing enough, I guess, because I'm still using, right? I know I'm still like insane in, in my insanity. I know that, but I still continue, even though many, many like, you know, not good things happen and I see it. I see the train coming towards me and I still, you know, don't stop. So should I only pray for a miracle and just wait? Or there's any other thing that I can do besides, you know, like surrender, right? But you, if I cannot you, surrender, what should I do? Have you noticed the word you haven't used? Which one? There's a word you just haven't used. The word Surrender. is, I am powerless over stopping. See, you, you probably still have not accepted the disease model. You think you're in control of relapsing. No, you're powerless over acting out. Until we reach that point, of humility and honesty that I am not a normal man. I have a disease that's a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession and I am hopeless. And it even talks about that hopelessness in step one. But doesn't didn't it say uh, 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 no buts? But means just what it says in English. A but is a rear end. It says it says in the twelve and twelve seemingly hopeless state. Seemingly, right? Okay. Right. So it's really not hopeless, okay? I was hopeless. I was hopeless. Nothing I did stopped it. No matter how many oaths I made to God, no matter what I did, it only kept getting worse. I was hopeless. That's reaching a bottom where you can't live with it and you can't live without it. 
Thank you. I appreciate your work. It touched me. Okay. I know I've been there. And to end kind of, I want to tell you the hopelessness. I was in AA sober for eight, six months. It was the best thing I had ever experienced, the 12-step program. And I was stuck this, on the sixth and seventh step. AA was not stopping my acting out. And I talked to people in the program, and they didn't make much of it. And one day after an AA meeting, I jogged downtown into Nashville. And I went to a porno shop. And this dirty young man kissed me on the lips. And I wasn't into kissing men on the lips. And it disgusted me. I did everything else that I didn't kiss. And it disgusted me. And I left there. And I said, I can't fight this one more minute. I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm going to leave my children. I'm going to the heck with my religion, the heck with my profession. This is all I'm going to do because I can't live this secret double life one more minute. And I had the most beautiful <coughs> relief, like a thousand pounds were lifted off of me. And I jogged back to the AA clubhouse. And I jogged right into that man who six weeks before had 12-stepped me. And out of my mouth came the words that to this day I'm shocked, I'm ready. And I've been sober since that day. I didn't know that was my bottom. I had no idea. Years later, I realized I was totally hopeless. Had this loving wife, these great kids. I was hopeless. And thanks for the word seemingly. Because it's in that hopelessness that I became hopeful. Mm -hmm. And that's our paradox of our program. It is by me having a selfish program, I become selfless. Which answers Mitch's question, too. Yeah. Sure, it might deprive people if I say I won't go because I can't have my own bathroom. Yeah, I'm depriving people. I have a selfish program. But by staying sober, I have a chance of helping lots of people. Yeah. 
Okay, everyone. Thank you for being so patient and staying up so late. Thank you. <laughs> uh, love you all, and I'll do my best for next week. Step two, tradition two. Thank you so much, Harvey. It was amazing. It really was. Daniel, uh, yes. just firstly, did you? I've never done this before about this. Did you see some holes, things that I need to tweak for next week that maybe didn't happen? I, my my ego is too big to start speaking in front of 94 people giving you advice, Harvey. I'm sorry. I'm going to... No, I'm, no, no, no. You hear th thousands of these things. Okay, no false humility here. Let's go. <laughs> it was perfect. For me, it was perfect. It really was. I think it was. It was really great. I think there was so much, so much that came out, and it's always in the. It's always towards those last 15, 20 minutes where like everything compiles together, and the first hundred and fifty people that left, I hope they get a chance to hear it afterwards because that's where like it all comes back together and really like you know concludes itself so nicely. It was beautiful. It was amazing, and There's like I said, even territory, and to those who are still here. I want to say, every one of us, I'm going to cry, <laughs> every one of us are pioneers. No one's done this before. That's why we don't have experts in this program. We don't have leaders. We have a bunch of drunks who help each other. But this is new. This is certainly new for me what it did. And how am I willing, without notes other than this, to risk all this, to maybe make a fool out of myself by, hey, what, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I'll end with this story. There was a man in AA, I... I I loved his program. It was so beautiful, spiritual. I was brand new, and he had a couple of years, and he gave a speaker meeting. And in a, after about 15 minutes, he was at the podium for like an hour talk. He reached something inside himself about his parents. And you could see it was an awakening. And he couldn't get himself back. He couldn't remember where he left. And he got all kind of, he just couldn't do it. It was, must have been so emotional for him. And all of a sudden, he looks at this room with maybe 50, 60 people. And he, he says, well, everyone... I guess this is all God had for me to say today. And he sat down. And when he walked down the aisle, I had such love for him. I could feel what his program. And I knew for the rest of my days, one day at a time, I don't have to be afraid of you. 
if I run out of things, I could just say, okay, the channel's shut off. And that's why I'm asking some of this. Okay. Be well, and all of you take it one day at a time. It works. It really does. Bye-bye. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.